0: Thank you for listening to this message from Tree of Life Church. Our prayer is that it will be a blessing to you and that you will find it helpful for life. So open up your heart to receive God's word for you. Hey, listen, a couple of things uh, before we get started that I want to make you aware of. You know, at summer, we've got some things going on for you, and this is going to tie in, we'll get there in a second, but uh, you know, summer is a really easy time to kind of Disconnect. And what we mean by that is not just disconnecting from church, but it's actually an easy time to disconnect from your families. Uh, You know, sometimes we think that we'll get to spend so much more time together as a family during summer, and that's not always true. I see the person in here who posted this the other day. I saw a meme on Facebook that was like all the other mom's summer plans, and it was like theme parks and stuff, and then it said my summer plans, and I had a picture of a package of popsicles. (laughs) And that is totally true sometimes. Sometimes we're just so busy trying to manage things. Sometimes maybe we are traveling or sometimes the kids are spending the night at a friend's house like five days in a row. I used to do that when I was a kid. Yeah, parents love that. It's free food, you know? Uh, I don't have to feed you for five days. Have fun. Enjoy it. I'll send you a snack. Uh, Make sure you take a shower once. Um, But, you know, that is just such a crucial time in the summer that we actually have to be intentional about connecting in the summer because our routine is broken a lot of times. And the other thing is we have to be intentional about connecting with God. I mean, how many of you know, if you go on vacation, uh, maybe to Disney World or Disneyland or something like that, it's hard to spend time with the Lord when your schedule and your routine is so changed from that. Sometimes if you go on vacation to visit your family, you spend more time praying because you're like, Lord, help me, please, right now. But, uh, you know, we understand that summer is an easy time to disconnect. So Pastor's Heart was really to help provide some ways for you to stay connected to your family and to God and the church. And so here's three really cool things that we're doing. Number one, today is the kickoff of our summer family challenge. Now what this is, is our our family ministry, uh, Tree Kids and Tree Student Ministries partnering together. They've come up with this family challenge. And what it is, is over the summer, Over the month of July, there are challenges that you have to do as a family. You can earn points, and then you can eventually win prizes. And it all culminates on our big family night, which is the amazing chemistry show on August 1st, first Wednesday of August. And so uh, we encourage you to participate in that. You can do that by going to our app, going to our website, getting info, or the Tree Kids and Tree Student Ministries Facebook pages. Uh, If you're not uh, into... Using the technology side of that stuff, you can go to the Connect Center and you can go to the Tree Kids check-in area. But here's what's cool about it. These are activities that are specifically and intentionally designed to help you spend time together as a family. It could be anything from uh, playing a board game. It always includes some element of the scripture and of uh, developing a relationship with God. It could be as simple as taking a selfie somewhere together. Whatever it is, it's making you think about how to spend time together, and then also how to connect your kids to Christ. And that's what we want to do. Amen? So we encourage you to participate in the Summer Family Challenge. kicks off today, and the prizes won't be lame. I'll tell you that right now. Have you ever got... It kind of reminds me of on the Christmas story. Uh, when Remember when he decodes the Ovaltine thing, and he's like, that's it? And he gets mad. It won't be like that, so don't worry about it. Um, And then the other thing, two things that we've got happening is today we're kicking off this brand new series called SPF. And what that stands for is Summer Prayer Focus. You get it? You get it? Okay. Uh, And Summer Prayer Focus is all about teaching us how to pray and what to pray for. You know, oftentimes we hear a lot about the importance of prayer, but nobody teaches us how. You know, even the disciples had to ask Jesus how to pray because they didn't know how to pray his way. They learned an old way, but they needed to learn the new way from Jesus. And so we're gonna talk about what to pray for and how to pray for it and give you some practical tools in this series. Now, what this is gonna help you do is develop in your personal prayer life. Today, we're gonna talk about praying for our nation. Uh, We're also gonna be talking about praying for your family. That's a huge one. Parents, you know the importance of praying for your kids and praying for your teens, especially when they start driving. And you just say, Jesus, please you know, help us all and every other driver on the road. But then also we're going to be talking about developing a personal prayer life. It's going to be a great series for the rest of July. Pastor Don is going to uh, is going to do the last one for us. Um, he's going to be doing an Encounter Sunday. It's going to be a powerful time to connect with God. And then in August, we're going to give you the opportunity to practice what you just learned by 21 days of prayer. So we're going to have times of corporate prayers at church. We're going to give you prayer points uh, for 21 days from August 5th to August 26th. Here's what... God laid on Pastor Don's heart, that as a church, we need to grow in our prayer life. And as pastors, we agree and we have put ourselves to the task of of growing in that area as a church. Listen, we pray before every service. Every person on our all-star team, we gather together and we pray. We pray for you throughout the week in our personal lives. Our staff comes together on Tuesdays and we pray for this church and we pray for your prayer requests. If you put a post-it note on that cross back there with a prayer request, it makes its way into our staff prayer meeting on a Tuesday. I don't know if you knew that. But we pray for you, but God's challenged us to just step up our game even more in that area. And you know, the Lord's been challenging me with that for quite a while now. And um, so it was really cool to me to hear Pastor Don say that because it kind of just confirmed what he was doing in my heart. And and I'll be honest with you, uh, I felt like I was a little too slow in responding to the way that God was challenging me to grow in my prayer life. But I began to respond to that. And I felt led to pick a specific time during the day to pray. It's in the morning, uh, it's at 7 in the morning. How many of you don't like mornings? You heard from the Holy Spirit. I'm proud of you. Uh, no, but I'm a musician. I don't think we really do mornings. I don't think that's a thing for us. We play at night and then we sleep in the morning. Uh, and then also I, I told first service I was born two weeks late. So I think I just got off track in the beginning and I never got, never was able to get back on. But, uh, you know, God challenged me to pray in the morning and he's been, he's been reminding me of that in a gentle, but a a serious way. And I'll tell you that as I have begun to do what he's asking me to do, I've seen the shift in my personal life. I've seen the shift in my, uh, level of frustration with people. I've seen the shift in the way that I think about circumstances. I've seen the shift where my first reaction is to pray instead of to get angry Sometimes maybe it's do a little bit of both. (laughs) But that's been the shift for me. Here's what I want to encourage you with. Ask God to take you on a journey to grow in your prayer life over the next two months, July and August. Ask God to take you on this journey and you will not be perfect at it. There are days when I don't wake up on time and I got to pray it another time because I'm not perfect at it. But God's not, if you're a perfectionist and you say, well, if I mess it up, I'm just going to quit. God didn't quit on you. So keep going. It's okay. But I want to challenge you to spend time this summer asking God to help you grow in your personal prayer life. Maybe you have a great prayer life, but I bet you there's an area that you can grow in. So would you join with us as we begin this series? And then as we go into 21 days of prayer, we're going to do this together. Amen. Awesome. Hey, uh, before we get started, would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. Your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's like if we were on a dark trail and we didn't know where to go. Your word is the flashlight that takes us there. So God, help me not to convey my words, but your words. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Amen. Awesome. Hey, listen, if you uh, have the TOLC app, you can jump on live notes and follow along with what I'm teaching. The scriptures are there. Uh, If you don't know me, my name is Cody Jones. I'm the creative arts pastor here at Tree of Life Church. If you're new here, our senior pastor and his wife are actually in Mexico serving with our sister church right now on a mission trip. How many of you are grateful that we have pastors who have a heart for the nations? Amen. (laughs) So today we're talking about praying for our nation. I think we need to lay a foundation for this and, and lay a biblical context for this. We need to know that it's biblical to pray for our nation. And so in the Old Testament, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, uh, God is speaking to Solomon the king. And, and basically he says, Solomon's the king of Israel at the time. And God says, sometimes you guys are going to mess up. Your nation's going to go off the path. You're going to dishonor me and forsake me. You're going to walk out from under my blessing. You're going to do bad stuff and a generation is not going to know me. But this is what he tells him. He says, but if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, say pray, pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. In first Timothy, in the New Testament, the apostle Paul is writing a letter to a young pastor named Timothy, and he's teaching him how to run a church service, really. And in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Say all. All. Listen, that word all is going to be a recurring theme throughout the day. I want you to count how many times you hear all or everyone throughout the day. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and for all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. You know, we live in a politically charged climate today. You ever been a guest in someone's home? In a uh, When you walked in the husband and wife open the door and like, "Hi, how are you?" And you walk in and you're like, "Listen, they just got into a fight." Like there's a charge in the room, you know, there's like a tension. She's like, "Could you please pass me the butter?" And you're like, "Oh, yeah, okay. I'm glad I'm here." We live in a charged environment in our nation I think today, where people are ready to be offended, ready to be angry, ready to push back on each other. And in our nation, there's this division today. I wouldn't say that we were ever fully united because we're people with problems, people that need Jesus. But in our nation, we see a lot of division. And we see a lot of people who are ready to attack one another, even if it's just verbally. Sometimes that's the worst kind over divisions that we face in the area of politics, the area of ethnicity, the area of culture, the area of background. And in this environment, God calls us to be Peacemakers. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul says something that is so challenging and so liberating. He says, This, live at peace with everyone in as much as it depends on you. Now, let me tell you why that's challenging. It's challenging because he's saying you are required to do everything you can to make peace with somebody who has an offense towards you. You have to swallow your pride. And go to them and try to work it out. But here's what's liberating for you and for me. He also says, in as much as it depends on you. See, that doesn't just mean that you do what you can do. That means if they're not willing, then it's okay. You have a clear conscience before God because you've treated them with love and dignity and respect. And I think as a church, we have to be aware that We are called to live in peace with everyone in as much as it depends on us. So that means two things. Again, that means we need to be peacemakers. We need to be bridge builders, not barrier builders. And we need to love people the way that Christ loved them. And if people don't want to receive, then we have to understand that I've done everything I can and I will continue to love you. But in as much as it depends on me, I've done my best. And that's a really, really important foundation for us to have because see, it's it's okay to voice our political opinions, but I think there's two things that we have to do before we voice our political opinions. Because how many of you know that everybody's really quick to speak these days, right? Have you ever criticized someone and then figured out that what you said about them was not accurate? I'll tell you my favorite story. When I was in seventh grade, I totally just remember this. Seventh grade, I was in football. If you're wondering, I was not good at football. Don't worry about it. Uh, Thank the Lord for guitar. (laughs) And uh, so I'm on the bus and I'm the new kid at this school. We're going on the bus to practice because we practice at a different facility. And um, and I don't know what I was talking about. There's this cool eighth grade kid and I don't know what we were talking about. And I said, man, how crazy of a lame job. No offense in here if this is you, but I was in seventh grade, so take it with a filter. I said, how lame of a job would it be to be a trash man? And this kid looked at me and he said, Uh, my dad's a trash man. (laughs) I was like, oh, I'm so sorry I said that, you know? And actually he was like, no, I'm just kidding, man. I just wanted to mess with you. But it taught me a lesson to think before I speak. So before we talk about our political opinions, I think there's two questions that we should ask ourselves. How many of you know that 30 seconds of pausing can save you 30 minutes or more of explaining and arguing? So a lot of husbands were like, me, I know that, (laughs) First question I think we should ask ourselves is this. Have I prayed about it? Have I prayed about it? Before you speak about it, have you prayed about it? You know what I've found is that sometimes when I'm so super passionate about something, if I pray about it first, God will give me a better way of handling it before I even have to do anything. There have been times when I was kind of frustrated with someone and, and, and the Lord told me to, lead with a question in my discussion with them. To ask them, hey, what did you mean by this? And it's amazing how you'll find that they didn't even mean what you thought they meant. It's really easy to pop off and post something on Facebook, but it takes a lot of humility to stop and pray and say, God, what's your opinion on this matter? And maybe I'm wrong. and Maybe you know something that I don't. You know, it's really interesting to me in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, that God didn't say, If my people will post, he said, if my people will pray. And a lot of times we think that voicing our opinion as strongly as we possibly can is what will change someone. But I want to tell you, if you've ever had a teenager, the last time that you voiced your opinion as strongly as you could to them, it probably did not change their heart. It probably just made them mad. But when you sat them down and you explained why you feel the way that you do, they may have still disagreed, But at least they heard your heart on the matter. So I think the first thing we have to do is we have to pray before we talk about it. The second thing I think we have to ask ourselves is, am I more concerned with being right or with being a light? Am I more concerned with proving that I'm correct about a certain point? Or am I more concerned with being a light to this person that maybe doesn't even know Jesus? We should never be so passionate about voicing our political opinions That we're willing to forfeit our platform to witness to someone. Now, there are certainly some things that as a church we have to stand with the Word of God on. But we can do it in such a way that doesn't alienate people. We can do it in such a way that communicates to them, I love you, I just happen to disagree with you. And I think we have to be as a church so careful that we're not so passionate about voicing our opinions that we lose the opportunity and the influence to share the love of Jesus with someone. That's our challenge. It's certainly okay to voice our opinions, but I think we have to ask ourselves, what's my motive in sharing this? And what's my highest goal, really? Really? And does this serve my life's purpose? Because if you're a believer, your life's purpose, biblically speaking, is to know Jesus and to let people know him as well, to lead them to a relationship with him. And so that should be our filter, that if this is going to be counterproductive to this purpose that God has given me, I am not going to engage in it. So one thing that I thought was really interesting when I was studying for this message and praying about this message is, I realized that Jesus loved and served people from different political backgrounds. Jesus' all-star team, we would kind of think of them as that, the apostles, the original disciples, the 12 disciples that he picked. You know, um, one of them was a man named Simon the Zealot, and some people, not everybody, but some people believe that Simon the Zealot was part of of a political party that was a Jewish political party that wanted to overthrow the Roman government that was ruling over them. The Roman government at that time was oppressive. They were brutal. And they were basically had taken captive or taken over the nation of Israel. Now, whether he was part of that party or not, I can almost guarantee you that a lot of the other disciples weren't big fans of the Roman government. If somebody came and took over our nation and began oppressing us, we wouldn't be big fans of them either. But do you know, who else Jesus called? A man named Matthew who went on to write the book of Matthew. And do you know where Jesus called him? He walked up to Matthew's tax collector booth. Matthew was a Jewish man working for the Roman government, collecting taxes. And he walked up to his booth and he called him to be a follower of Jesus. You talk about an awkward team meeting, right? Especially if that guy really was part of that political party. Like, oh, you're the, oh, you, oh, oh. But Jesus called both of them together. You know, one other thing that I think is really interesting is when Jesus was crucified, he stood trial before Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Roman governor of his area. And Pontius Pilate basically was like, I don't, really think this guy did anything wrong, but Pontius Pilate was a weak leader, and he wanted to please people. And so what he did is he said, I don't think he did anything wrong, but you know it's customary at this time of year for me to release a prisoner to you, whoever you choose. So he said to the people of Jerusalem, who do you want me to release, Jesus or Barabbas? Now let me tell you who Barabbas was. We just think, oh, he's a bad guy. Barabbas was a political revolutionary who wanted, again, to overthrow the Roman government. He was a murderer. He was a bad guy. And do you know that people wanted Jesus when he came? They expected that he would overthrow the Roman government and establish a kingdom on the earth right then. But Jesus had a different political agenda because he was looking at a spiritual truth and an eternal timeline, and it was different than what they were looking at. So check this out. Jesus has a different political agenda than Barabbas. Barabbas. And the people demand Barabbas and they demand that Jesus is crucified. Do you know that Jesus died literally in place of a person who had a different political agenda than he did? I think the, the next time that we're about to get into an argument with somebody about politics, we ought to see this written on their forehead. Jesus died for them too. Because my tone changes when I see that about somebody. I may still say, well, oh, I actually don't, I don't agree with that, and here's why. But it's not a barrier for me anymore. And honestly, if the conversation gets so far that it becomes a barrier, I know in my spirit, I've got to stop it because I'd rather reach you for Jesus than prove that I'm right. We live in a culture that we literally pay news media to stir up division for us. And we live in a culture where we're addicted To that kind of thing, raising our blood pressure, getting our stress levels up. Happens when we turn on our devices, happens when we turn on our TVs. But in our culture, we can be a light by loving people, even though we disagree with them. Dialogue can be helpful, but you have to start with an attitude of love. And I think that discussion is needed in our society. But do you know what I think is more necessary than just discussion? I think we need to sit down and I think we need to seek to understand the other person. I think we need to sit with people whose shoes we've never walked in and say, tell me what it's like to sit in your shoes for one day. I think that we need to do that with people of different ethnicities, different nationalities, different political persuasions. But here's what I think is more important than all of that. I think more important than anything else is prayer. So in 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul talks to Timothy, but he basically teaches him how to pray for his nation. So what we're going to do is we're going to pull some truths out of that. Today, we're going to look at who we should pray for, why we should pray, or what happens when we pray, and then how to pray. So first, I want to look at who we should pray for based on this passage, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. The number one uh, category of people we should pray for is we should pray for the people of our nation. That sounds really obvious, but do we do that? I'm going to tell you right now, I don't do that very much because it doesn't cross my mind. But in this scripture, he says, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. If you're counting the alls, there's another one right now. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. And later on, it talks about how so that all can be saved. In Isaiah 62, verse one, the second half of that verse, and then in verse six, Isaiah is praying for the people of his nation, the nation of Israel. And he says this, he says, I will not stop praying for her until her righteousness shines like the dawn and her salvation blazes like a burning torch. You catch, he's praying for salvation for his nation. Oh, Jerusalem, I have posted watchmen on your walls. They will pray day and night continually. Isaiah is saying, I will not stop until I see revival in this nation. We need to be a people who pray for the people of our nation. Listen, we understand and know that our culture is shifting away from God. When I was 15 years old, I was at a a youth conference and I heard a man say, if we don't turn this around, statistics are, they're projecting statistically that less than 4% of the coming generation will be Bible-believing Christians. Do you know that probably six months ago, I heard a statistic and I was like, whoa, he was right. That less than 4% of this young generation coming up our Bible-believing Christians. We live in a culture that's shifting away from God, but here's what I want to convey today, and this is so challenging, and and this challenges our human nature, but I believe it's what God's called us to do. When we see that our culture is going in the wrong direction, we can either get angry or we can get on our knees. And one of them is gonna make a difference, and one of them is gonna make it worse. So we have to choose what kind of voice we want to be in the world. I mostly notice Jesus in the scriptures getting angry with religious people. I don't see him getting angry with people who are aware of their sin and knew they needed a savior. As a church, we need to be vocal about praying for our nation, not being angry about where it's headed. That's how we make a difference. Number two, we need to pray for the leaders of our nation. I'm gonna guarantee you something today. Nobody's gonna to like this point and at point number 1 of the next part. I don't really like it that much. You're probably not going to like it either because it makes us do something that we don't want to do. In this scripture, Paul says in 1 Timothy 2, he says pray this way for kings and for all. Say all again. There's that word again. All who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. It's good and pleases our savior to do this. God specifically instructs us to pray for all who are in authority. Listen, God didn't just instruct me to pray for the people that I voted for. God instructed me to pray for all those who are in authority. And I believe that that is the heartbeat of God. That when we have that attitude, I'm going to pray for everybody, not just the people I voted for. That's when we begin to see real change. Instead of talking bad about our elected officials, here's what we need to do. We need to pray for them. What would happen in our nation if every time somebody started to talk bad about an elected official, they replaced it with praying for that person? And you know there's a difference between praying about somebody and praying for somebody, right? God, that lady is so mean. She's such a jerk. That's praying about somebody. God will help you there. But if you're saying, God, I pray for that person in Jesus' name, God, that your wisdom would be on them, that your discernment would be on them, the right people would be around them, your favor and your protection would go before them and behind them, God, that you would lead them and guide them everywhere they go. Imagine what would shift in our country if every time we wanted to complain, we prayed. So the next thing that we have to talk about is what happens when we pray. It's really the why. Why are we praying in the first place? And the first thing that happens when we pray for our nation, is that it keeps our hearts right. And this ties in with the last point. And this is another one of those ones that nobody in here is going to find very easy to swallow. But you know what I found? I was reading Mark a while back, and I found that when I read about the life of Jesus, um, he challenges my perception of how I should act all the time. If you read the word, it challenges your perception. It challenges your thinking. It challenges you to think differently than you naturally would. And so in Romans 13:1, it says, everyone must submit to governing authorities for all authority comes from God. And those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. Did you catch that? There's the word all again. All authority comes from God. God sets up, the Old Testament says, nations and rulers. This challenges me a lot, but here's the thing. If you look at who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, again, was under uh, the Roman government, an oppressive government. In fact, the Apostle Paul was jailed and beaten by the government. The Apostle Paul had to travel to Rome to stand trial before Caesar because he was preaching the gospel. Paul was not doing anything wrong. He was doing everything right and they were persecuting him. And he had the audacity to say that all authority is instituted by God. Did you know that Jesus, when he talked about if a Roman soldier asks you to carry his gear for a mile, carry it two miles, if you've ever heard that scripture before, Jesus said that in that day, it was law, Roman law, that if a Roman soldier asks you to carry, well, he didn't ask you, he told you, to carry his gear for one mile, you had to do it. A lot of guys that went through boot camp and ladies in here probably thought, I wish that was a law when I was in boot camp, right? But Jesus said, you carry it two miles if they ask you to carry it one. You know, these people understood what it truly was to have an oppressive government over them, but they still said this about loving their leaders and believing God to move in their lives. I don't understand that, I don't understand why God put some leaders in place. I don't understand why some things are allowed to happen. But here's what I do know. If people who were persecuted for their faith can say it, then I should believe it too. And here's the other thing. If my mind was big enough to understand God, then I wouldn't need him for anything. But he knows better than I do. So praying for our leaders keeps our heart right. Praying for our nation keeps our heart right. It's hard to have a bad attitude towards someone when you're praying for them. It's okay to disagree, but it's never okay to dishonor. And I think that's the problem in our culture today is we don't have a lot of honor for people. And we disagree with them, but then we take it a step further and we begin to dishonor them. You know that the Apostle Paul, when one of those times when he was beaten and thrown in prison, in Acts chapter sixteen, there was a miracle that happened overnight, and the city leaders who had had him beaten and thrown in jail came, and they said, uh, "You know what? We're going to let you go because this amazing miracle had happened." And Paul exercised his right as a Roman citizen, and I love it. He said, pretty much, this is exactly what he said. You can look look at it for yourself in, in Acts chapter sixteen. He says, "We're Roman citizens." And you beat us and threw us in jail without a trial. And you think you're just going to let us go silently? Paul exercised his right as a citizen. But you know what? There's a way to do it with honor in your heart. You know, there's a way to address injustice and wrongdoing by a leader, but still honor and love them the way that Christ would love them. And if we start with a posture of prayer, we'll be able to honor them in doing that. We can speak out against those things. Daniel did it with Nebuchadnezzar. Moses did it with Pharaoh. But we have to do it in an honorable way like they did. We can be a light by loving our leaders and respecting them even when we disagree with them. Number two, prayer benefits everyone. 1 Timothy 2.2 talks about how we can then live in peace if our leaders are doing a good job. You know what is really interesting? It's kind of like at your work. If you had a boss that you don't like, don't raise your hand. They're like, there are two rows behind you. No. You never know who's in church. Uh, He's like, I can fix that right now. Uh, But if you had a boss that you didn't like and you want him to fail, you do understand that his numbers reflect your numbers as well. If we want our leaders to fail, we need to understand that they're not managing their money managing our money they're not building roads for themselves they're building roads for us we need to believe that they're going to succeed and pray for that so that we can succeed as people and here's the other thing is it's bigger than just our nation because when our nation succeeds spiritually and economically two amazing things happen and this is one of the things that has historically marked our nation we will send more missionaries to foreign lands, and we will send more money to missionaries in foreign lands. So we need to believe that our nation will succeed so that we can reach the world for Jesus. And the third and final thing is that when we pray, it sparks revival. This is the most important part. First Timothy 2:4, it says that God's will is that everyone would be saved and understand the truth. That includes our political leaders. Some of you are like, well, they came from hell, (laughs) but that's this word says that God wants everyone to be saved and believe the truth. In second Chronicles chapter seven, in that verse, it actually says that God says, if you pray, I'll forgive your sin and heal your land. Our greatest goal in praying for our nation isn't that we can be rich and powerful and do great things. It's so that our people would turn to Jesus That's the most important part. And I want to say this. A lot of times we look to the government to pass laws and do things to fix issues that the church is mandated to fix by prayer and by outreach. If my people will pray. He said that to a king who had the authority to make decisions. But the king needed to know that it was up to the people to pray. And we've got to be a church that prays. Prayer should be our first option, not our last. And as we close today, I want to to share a story with you. Quest, if you want to come up and play keys, you're more than welcome to do that. Uh, I'm reading a book called The Circle Maker, and there's a story in it I want to share it with you today. There was a man named Rodney Smith. He was born in 1860, was an evangelist from the late 1800s, early 1900s. He was born in a tent outside of London in a forest. Born to uh, nomadic people known as the Romani. Grew up in a wagon. Nobody ever taught him how to read or write, but he taught himself. He became eventually tied in with the Salvation Army for a little bit. He did eight crusades. I I can't verify this account, but I read it. He did eight crusades and in eight crusades, he reached 23,000 people for Jesus decisions made, is what I read. You can research it for yourself. He crossed the Atlantic 45 times preaching the gospel to millions of people. And one day, some people came to him and they said, hey, how do we get God to use us the way that he uses you? And this is what he said. I want you to hear this. He said, go home, lock yourself in your room, kneel down in the middle of the floor, and with a piece of chalk, draw a circle around yourself. Now, I want you to picture yourself On your knees, trying to draw a circle. That's an awesomely funny image because you're just shimmying like a penguin and trying to make it happen. That was not part of his quote. He said, There, on your knees, pray fervently and brokenly that God would start a revival within that circle. Church, our nation needs a revival. But a national revival starts in cities. And revival in cities starts in churches. But do you know where revival in churches begins? At home. And that's why we're challenging you for these next two months to pray for revival in your home. If we want to see our nation shift to Jesus, it's going to take a lot of Christians getting closer to Jesus and leading families to connect to his life love, and power. Amen. If you want to know specifics of how to pray for your nation, there's five steps in our live notes on the TOLC app. If you don't have the app, I suggest you get it. But you can also go to our website. There's a button on there that says live notes. Five specifics with scriptures under them. I'd encourage you to begin praying those for our nation. I'm going to start doing it myself. But let's be a people who pray first. Let's be a people who are known for being bridge builders. And let's be a people who are known for changing the face of this nation with revival. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this message. You can find more messages and information about Tree of Life Church at treeoflifechurch.org